and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then you go down to verse number 14, just before our verses this morning. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So you have the ultimate defeat of the enemy in chapter 20. And now we pick up in chapter 21, the book shifts. And we talk about the new creation, where God makes everything new, where God's, what God's followers will get to experience for all eternity. And to begin with this, it sets up a contrast for us here between our current situation and what is still to come. So look back at the contrast in verse 1 between where we are and what we will have if we are in Christ. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So it says there's a first heaven and a first earth. Now when you look at Scripture, you see heaven and earth used together here. This is describing all that God made, the physical creation as well as the spiritual things God created as well. So this would include earth and heaven. This would include people and angels. This would include animals and plants and other planets. Everything that we know, spiritual and physical, falls under this category of heavens and earth. And friends, our life experience is all in what would be called here the first earth. And because of sin on this first earth, we all feel the pain of life. We all walk through hardships. We all walk through trials. And notice how they're described for us in verse number 4. And they're described in terms of what will not be, but this is what we have right now. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So there's hope that these will pass away, but the hope for them passing away is not in this life. In this life, we will experience tears, death, mourning, crying, and pain. Did you notice in that list that something is repeated here? Both tears and crying. It's repeated two different times here for us that we're going to have tears from the sorrows that we experience in this life. We will cry in this life. Life will be hard. And these tears can come from any type of sorrow we face in life. But these tears can also come from our sin. When we've offended God and we've hurt others and hurt ourselves, this comes from other sin that has hurt us and hurt people we love. In this life, we are going to cry tears. We are going to feel deep sorrow at many times for many different reasons. My friends, that's where the hope comes in. These are described here in verse 4 as the former things. That means the pain we feel in this life is not going to be forever. It is just temporary. I don't know if you noticed it when we were reading, our text was bracketed by the same phrase twice. That means it begins and ends with the same phrase because it's showing us a key idea here. Look at verse 4 here. It's the very end. It says, the former things have passed away. Now go back up to verse number 1. I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had. Here it is again passed away. You see the same phrase in two different places. To pass away is the word we use for death. It means something has ended and is gone. So that means death will end. That means mourning, crying, and pain will all end. That means tears will end. The world as we know it now and its brokenness will end. Now, as God's showing us this, there becomes an interesting development here in verse number one and talking about these old things passing away. And look back at verse one here. I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, what is this about the sea being no more? Now, this has nothing to do with the Gulf of Mexico and the beach, okay? If you're one who loves to go to the beach, this is not a verse to make you sad. This is not saying that in the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no ocean or water anymore, that those things go away. You have to remember that John uses a lot of metaphors and images to help us understand the truth of what is to come. And this is one of those. To the Jewish people, 
The sea was a great dark unknown out of which evil comes. So the sea was seen by the people as being the source of evil. And so we're saying the sea is no more. It's an image for us to say that the source of all evil is being cut off. John has already described the sea in this way. If you go back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, I saw a beast rising out of, here it is, the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. The beast, Revelation, comes out of the sea. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, just a few verses before our text this morning. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. So even up until this point in John, the sea is being shown as the place, as the source of evil. So if you go back to verse number one, it says the sea is no more. That doesn't mean there won't be oceans and beaches in the new heavens and the earth. It's just simply saying that the source of all evil is going to be cut off. The source of the evil that causes pain and suffering in this life will be forever cut off. That those things will never again be in God's world. Now, friends, before we go on and look at the next part of this, I want to ask you a question because this needs to be personal for us. I don't want us just to come away from this going, wow, this is fascinating. This is what's going to happen. Friends, as you walk through the hardships of life, what is it that causes you the most tears? In your personal life, what is it that grieves you the most? What is it that causes you the most tears? What is the hardest part of life here for you? Friends, once you think about that, the truth here for you is that whatever it is that causes you the most pain, whatever it is that grieves you the most, has caused the most tears in your life, that is temporary, that will not be forever. It will one day pass away. I want you to notice how personal the passing away of the grief is for us. Go back to verse number four this morning. Friends, this is astounding. We don't want to skip over this. Verse four, he, he here is God. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, God doesn't send an angel to wipe away the tears. He didn't send others who have gone before, other saints who have gone before to wipe away the tears. It says God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The great I am so loves his people that he himself promises to wipe away our tears. Richard Phillips is one of the authors I really enjoy reading as I'm studying um, to preach each week. He said this. He said, the imagery of Revelation 21 poignantly has, has, poignantly has us entering into glory with the tears of our sorrowful lives still on our cheeks. What image can more fully express the sheer pain of life in this fallen world? That we're entering glory with tears on our cheeks because we've been dealing with pain, sometimes even up to the moment of death. He says this, but our loving Heavenly Father greets us, wiping the last tears we will ever shed from our faces and bidding us to weep no more forever and ever. Our loving Heavenly Father greets us, wipes the last tears we will ever shed from our faces and bids us to weep no more. Don't miss the great love of God for his people in this text, that God himself wipes away the tears and sorrows we have as we enter into his presence forever. What is it that grieves you the most in this life? What is it that's caused you the most tears and the most pain? If you're in Christ, God himself has promised to one day wipe away those tears. So if there's no more tears, if there's no more death, no more pain, what awaits us instead? Go back to verse 1. Remember, this is a big contrast. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Again, all created things are under this phrase, heaven and earth. So everything is recreated. Everything is made new. Now, important clarification here for us. We see this word new in Greek. This is not the word to obliterate something and replace it with something different, okay? This is a word to restore something, not to replace it. So, so the best analogy I can think of, some of you know I drive a really old Jeep doesn't have air conditioning, 
The windows don't always work. Okay, it's kind of old and beat up, right? This is not a promise that one day my Jeep will be destroyed and I'll get a Ferrari instead, okay? That's not what this image is describing for us. This would mean more like I walk out one day, all of a sudden my Jeep is brand new. I recognize my Jeep, but it's brand new. And wow, the windows work and the air conditioning works in it and there's no rust on it anymore. But it's not just it's made new, it's made better. The cloth seats are now leather. And the cassette deck is now a Sirius XM satellite radio. <laughs> Everything is made better. It's still a Jeep. I still recognize the Jeep, but it is made new. It's not replaced with a Ferrari. It is made new. That's what this word in a much bigger sense than an old car communicates here for us. God's not going to obliterate the earth and create some new planet that we don't recognize and send us off to another solar system. God is going to renew the earth he made. He's going to make it new, refresh it, restore it. But it's going to be even more glorious than what we have now. If you think of the most beautiful parts of earth you've ever been to and seen, if you're up at Chiha with this backpack and you look out over the breathtaking panorama before you, go out to those who are from Colorado and go out to Colorado and see the sights out there, that pales in comparison to the glory that we will see when God restores the earth and makes it even better than it is right now. God's not going to take us somewhere else. He's going to renew where we are. Now, what's this new heaven, new earth going to be like for us? There's so much we could say, but there's three things I want you to see from this text that helps us understand what the new heavens and new earth will be like. Number one, this is a place where we will fully experience the presence of God. It's a place where we will fully experience the presence of God. Now, friends, we know throughout our study, God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. So it's not that God is not always everywhere now. He is. And yes, friends, we get to experience God now. We've been talking about that along the way. But what we experience now is but a dim reflection of what we will experience then. We will experience God in his glory and greatness in new ways in the new heavens and new earth. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This word to dwell is the word to tabernacle. If you hear the word, he will tabernacle with him. This should take you back to the Old Testament when the Jewish people had a tabernacle where they would meet with God to worship him, where God's presence was most fully known. But if you remember back to the tabernacle, the tent, the high priest could only go in once a year. Only one person go in and only once a year to the most holy place where God's presence was. But now for all of God's people, we are told that for all eternity, God will tabernacle. He will pitch his tent right there with us. One of the authors I was reading this week studying said it well. He said, so close will our communion be between God and us, it'll be like we're sharing the same tent with him. It's going to be like sharing a tent with God, he said. And friends, if you've ever gone backpacking or camping and had to share a tent with someone, that's the closeness that we should get in mind. You hear every sound they make at night when they snore. If they turn in their sleeping bag, you're going to hear them turn in their sleeping bag, right? You're going to hear every word they whisper. You're going to hear everything if you share a tent. And that's part of the image for us here, that we will have such a close experience and fellowship with God. It would be as if we're sharing the tent with him because his presence will be so very real and rich for us. Now, what will we experience when we experience God's presence? Well, we'll experience who he is, but there's two attributes of God that I think are in this text here that show us what we'll get to see more of God's character. Number one is his sovereignty, his sovereignty. We talk about this a good bit, but his sovereignty is his right to rule and his power to do so. It's his right to rule and his power to do so. Now, where do we see that here? Go back to verse two. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Here it is, from God. 
Now, we didn't have to have that phrase from God in there, but God included it because he's trying to help us see this is all his doing. God is not passively watching these things happen. He is a sovereign ruler making all these things happen. When the end of time happens, us being there, we, it'll be obvious to us for all eternity the absolute sovereignty of God. We will understand in new and deeper and richer ways how sovereign God is, how he rules over all things, how nothing happens outside his control. It will be obvious to us how sovereign he's been over our lives, over our salvation, over his rule of all things. So we see his sovereignty in what is happening here. There's a second aspect of God's character we see here. It's in the same verse, and that's his love for us. Not just his sovereignty, but his love for us. Still verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Notice this, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is describing the people who make up the new city. This is describing the people who dwell on the new earth. This is describing us, the church, all the followers of Christ. It says, we will be like a bride prepared for her husband. The question is, who's preparing us? And it's God. And don't miss that. We're being prepared by God for God. We're being adorned by God for God. He has such a deep love for us that he is going to adorn us. He's going to prepare us. And it's going to be obviously amazing for us, but it's also for his glory. More so than the deepest love and the best marriage relationship you can imagine, we're going to experience God's love and his pursuit of us for all eternity. And friends, don't miss how those go hand in hand. Depending on your personality or even theological leanings, for some of us, we focus a lot on the sovereignty of God and we miss the love of God. There's others who focus so on the love of God, they miss the sovereignty of God. But scripture holds those in tandem, holds those together, that for all eternity, friends, we will see the absolute sovereignty of God, his greatness, his glory, his bigness, but we will also experience his very intimate personal love for us. So the great I am has chosen to set his affection on us, chosen to adopt us, and for now, for all eternity, we get to enjoy his presence. So what do we learn about the new heavens and new earth? First, it is a place where we will experience the presence of God. Second of all, it's a place of complete holiness. It's a place of complete holiness. Look back at verse number two. It doesn't say, I saw an affluent city. It doesn't say, I saw a fun city or an entertaining city. The one word that describes mostly what the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem is like is it is a holy city. Everything about the new heavens and new earth is going to be holy. That means, yes, there's no sin, there's going to be no temptation, no struggles with doing what is wrong. Everything will be pure. Remember, there's no sea from which evil can come. So it's not just everything is restored. There's no source of that anymore. But even more than that, it's going to be holy. It's going to be set apart to show the glory of God. Everything we see, everything we hear, everything we do is going to showcase in ways we've never experienced the absolute profound glory and greatness and majesty of God. We will see it everywhere. The new heavens and new earth are a place where we experience the presence of God. Second of all, it's a place of complete holiness. And number three, it's a place of perfect community. It's a place of holy, of sorry, a perfect community. This holy city is not described, friends, by the streets or the size of the buildings or how far it spreads out here. It's described here as a people, as is in other places. If you go, back to, if you go down a little bit to Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10, here's how the new Jerusalem, the city, is described. Then came out of the, one of the seven angels, I had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb. So we're going to see the bride, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So first verse, 
I'm going to show you the bride of Christ, the people. Second verse, here's the bride of Christ. It's the city. The city here is us, the people of God in this. Go back to verse 3, and you'll see that here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And more literally in the Greek here is literally they will be his people's plural. That heaven and earth is not about us in solitude with God. There's not a sit on a cloud one day with a little harp and hope to commune with God forever, just me and him. The new heaven and new earth is about community with all the people who love God, who've been redeemed by him, together united for all time. And again, it's from all peoples, from different ethnic groups. Because God redeems people from every tongue, tribe, and nation now together in perfect community with one another. Friends, God made us for community. God made us for relationships in this life. And that does not change in eternity. What changes is we have no sin to mess it up. We have no pride to break our relationships. We have no selfishness that causes us to focus on self instead of others. We live in perfect harmony because there's nothing that we have and there's no seed to tempt us anymore. Nothing that will wreck the perfect community and the unity that God gives us. That means we'll never get in arguments in the new heavens and new earth. We will never assume the worst of someone else in the new heavens and new earth. And no one will ever assume the worst of us or argue with us or yell at us in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be in perfect community for eternity. So the new heavens and new earth will be a place where we experience the presence of God. It's a place of complete holiness and a place of perfect community. So let's bring that together and let's give you the answer for our question today. What hope does everlasting life hold for us? Here's what I want you to see this morning. I hope you've already seen this. God promises us eternal life and the new heavens and new earth where we will enjoy his presence and be free from sin and suffering forever. The hope of eternal life, friends, is that we will have the new heavens and new earth. We're not floating in a cloud. We're not going to experience some different planet. He will restore this earth, and we will get to live on it with God in perfect communion with God and with one another for all eternity, enjoying his presence, being free from sin and suffering forever. It'll be amazing to see the creation restored, and there'll be such great joy in that reality. But even more so, friends, there'll be great joy in the reality that we will have no more pain, no more sickness, no more hardships, no more sin, no more temptations. But even greater than that, friends, will be the joy that we have in the reality that we will have perfect community, that we will forever be able to enjoy each other's company with nothing to mess up our relations. But even more than that is the great joy in the reality that we will have God's presence forever, enjoying him and seeing him in ways we've never experienced here before, experiencing his sovereignty and love together in newer and deeper ways. God promises us eternal life in the new heavens and new earth we will enjoy his presence and be free from sin and suffering forever. My friends, there's a question for us in light of that. What difference does that truth make? If we really believe that eternity awaits us in God's presence, what difference does that make? Well, a lot, but I want to make sure we try to apply this to our lives and make this personal. I want to suggest three ways I believe this helps us in life now, because we're obviously not at a place of perfect community yet. We've all had conflict probably this week, right? None of us are in a place of perfect holiness. We've all struggled with sin this week. None of us have been free of tears and pain. Life is hard. So how does, in this broken world now, how does this help us thinking about eternity? I want to suggest three is Number one, this helps us endure hardships knowing they're not forever. This truth, friends, if we can get our mind around this truth that we have eternal life with God forever, this helps us endure trials now knowing they will not last forever. Our trials are temporary. Our tears and sadness, they are temporary. You've probably seen the illustration before, but if you took a string and drew it and stretched it all the way across this room, and that was eternity, you put one little tiny like, piece of ink on that, on that line, that's our entire life right now. 
And you put one little dot on that piece, that drop of ink on that one line. That's the trials we're walking through right now. Like our trials are like a dot on the dot on the big line of all eternity. They're not forever. They're temporary. And as we've seen in other places throughout our study, even those temporary hardships of this life, God is redeeming those to do something much bigger and greater for his glory and for our good. So it helps us endure the hardships of life now, knowing this is not our home, this is not forever. Number two, it shows us that the deepest longings of our hearts will one day be satisfied. It shows us that the deepest longings of our hearts are, friends, going to one day be satisfied. All of us live with unfulfilled longings in different ways. Some have relationships that you desire to have that you don't. You have relationships you won't restore, but they're still broken. Some of you have longings for deeper community, deeper friendships, and that no matter how much you want that, you still feel lonely. Some of you have longings for health and healing, yet you see the limitations and brokenness of our bodies. And there's so many other longings that are unfulfilled, even in this room today. Friends, there's no promise in Scripture that we're going to be healed of all sickness in this life, that every relationship is going to be fixed in this life. We live with sin and us and sin and others and just a lot of brokenness all around us, friends. But the day is coming when every longing will be satisfied, when we'll be fully known by God and know Him, where we will know one another and be in perfect relation with one another, where we're in perfect community, where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness. Friends, that day is coming when all the longings of our heart are satisfied. But number three, how does this help us now? Focusing on this truth, friends, shows us what to prioritize right now. Shows us what to prioritize right now. Friends, life is busy and we can get pulled in a million directions and a lot of us struggle with what to prioritize and what to focus on. But if the new heavens and new earth are about knowing God and they're about being, being holy, they're about living in community, that gives us a pretty good glimpse of what is important in this life right now. And that is knowing God. He's revealed himself to us, and so we run to Scripture individually and together. We pray individually. We pray together. We worship him individually. We worship him together. If eternity is all about us knowing God, we don't wait to eternity to start that. We pursue knowing him more now. And so the question for us, friends, are we prioritizing knowing God? If that's what all eternity is about, being in God's presence, do we long for his presence now? But if all eternity is about perfect holiness where there's no sin, no temptation, we saw just a few weeks ago in our study that, when, that Christ's death and resurrection means we are free from sin's power now. So if all eternity in the new heavens and the earth is about us being free from sin and all of that, are we in this stage of life now longing to be free from sin's power today? Are we now pursuing and striving for personal holiness in our lives, knowing that's what eternity is all about? My friends, if all eternity is about us, God's people, together in perfect community, as we serve together, as we worship together, as we love God together. Friends, do we prioritize community now? God doesn't call us to wait till heaven to experience community. He calls us to lay down our lives and die to self by his grace now to live in community as best we can by his grace as a small reflection of what it'll be like one day. Friends, God promises us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to enjoy his presence and be free from sin and suffering forevermore. Friends, the question is, are we embracing that truth in such a way now, knowing our trials are not forever, knowing that the deepest longings of our heart will one day be satisfied, knowing that we should be prioritizing these things in our life now. And friends, with that in view, we come to the end of our study of Rooted. doesn't mean we're going to stop growing together. More is to come. We will keep, by God's grace, pursuing God's word together. But that brings us to the end of this study. And I wanted us to end this study together with communion. Because the whole goal of this study has been to take us deep into God's word and not just one book, but to see the big picture themes of scripture as a community, as a people together to drive us deeper into pursuing Christ together.
And so it's fitting that we celebrate this corporate ordinance of communion together as we celebrate where God has brought us and celebrate what he has taught us. Friends, let me just remind us as we come to the close of this this morning that the reason we celebrate communion is to remind us in a very powerful visual way of what it cost for us to have our salvation. We love to talk about the free gift of our salvation that God in his grace has given it to us. But friends, this drives us back to remember that our sin was so offensive to God that it deserved God's wrath. And our sin did get paid for. If you're in Christ, you never have to feel God's wrath, but Christ felt it for you. So as we break the bread, it reminds us that Christ's body was on the cross and his body was broken for our sins. As we take the juice, it reminds us that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So it's this powerful visual reminder that Christ gave to his disciples to remind us that the freedom we have in Christ came with such a high cost. As such, friends, this is only for followers of Christ. If you are not sure you're a follower of Christ, as we take this, we want to ask you to remain in your seat. No one's going to come chase you down or pursue you or bother you. We just want you to remain where you're seated. Just use the time to reflect and say, Lord, I'm not sure if I believe in you. I'm not sure where my heart is. Would you show yourself to me? Use this time to pray and reflect on these truths. But friends, if you are in Christ, we want you to come and to worship him and celebrate his grace gift to you of salvation, to take the bread, remember his body that was broken for you, to take the juice, remember his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, and to come and to celebrate that. Friends, as we do communion, it is also a time of reflection. And as we reflect at the end of the study, I want us to give you, I want to give you a question to think about as you reflect on communion this morning. The question is, are you longing for eternity? And are you living with eternity in view. This is ultimately pointing us, and this is a whole sermon for a whole nother day, this is pointing us to the wedding feast of the Lamb one day, when we get to sit at God's table forever. Friends, are we living like a people who long for that, or we made this world so our home that we tolerate sins in our lives, that we make everything about this life, or are we living for eternity as God's people? So as you wait to come forward to receive the elements, or as you get the elements and go back to your seat, there is no rush to take them. Use the time to pray, to reflect, to thank God for the salvation he's given to you, to rejoice in that, to rejoice in his sovereignty, to rejoice in his love for you, but to also pause and reflect and to ask God to say, God, am I longing for eternity? Am I living with eternity in view? And if the Lord shows you ways that we're not, let's confess that to him. It's covered by the blood of Christ. Let's run to him and ask him for more grace to keep turning our hearts to the things of the Lord. Now, the way we're going to celebrate this morning, if you're new to Gateway or visiting with us, in just a few minutes, our ushers are going to come, and they'll direct you to come down the center aisle to come receive the elements and then to go back to your seats. Our praise team will come first, and the ushers will direct you. For those of you, if you do not feel comfortable coming to the front to get the elements, we do have in the very back of both aisles some pre-sealed elements that you can get there if you'd rather just take it that way. And for those who have dietary needs, there's gluten-free options here and in the back as well. We want you to be able to celebrate and focus on the Lord. So let me pray for us, and some of our deacons and ushers are going to come to help direct us during this time. Father God, our hearts are filled with thankfulness that you've chosen to redeem us. Lord, you looked on undeserving, wretched sinners like us, and you chose not to leave us in our sin. You chose not to leave us under your condemnation, your wrath, but you chose to redeem us and to rescue us. And so, Lord, we ask right now that you would fill our hearts with awe and wonder and the grace we have in Christ and the cost of our salvation and yet the love that you have for us. And so we take the bread and remember that Christ's body was broken for us as we take the juice. I pray you just turn our hearts to hearts of thankfulness and hearts of worship. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room or watching online who 
has never trusted in you. Lord, I pray today you would so be pursuing them and chasing that they would realize their need to turn to you and to run to you to find the grace and the mercy they need to live this life knowing their creator. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, fill our hearts with thankfulness this day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
you're still taking the elements, continue to be seated in an attitude of prayer. But as we get ready to end off this uh, Sunday morning of worshiping God and ending off this rooted series, we're going to celebrate as we uh, celebrate the coming of Jesus and as we wait for his return. So if you're still taking the elements, feel free to sit and continue to do that. If you're done, feel free to stand and worship with us this morning.
can sing we belong to you or we can only say that because of your grace not because of anything we've done you pursued us when we were not pursuing you you turned our hearts when we did not love you and you gave us a love for you and drew us near to you and we just want to say thank you that we can proclaim today that we belong to you all because of what you have done Lord, I pray this week for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that what we've just proclaimed in song, that we are singing in song to Jesus, they would not stop when we leave this room. That all week long, Lord, you would be reminding us through your word, through one another, through the Holy Spirit at work within us of your greatness, that we'd be seeing your sovereign hand at work, we'd be sensing your love, and Lord, we would proclaim in song and our prayers all week long how great and how glorious you are. Lord, I pray that what we've just sung has been true for us and not mere words that, Lord Jesus, for your returning, we pray, we watch, we wait, we long. Oh, Lord, you know how quickly our hearts get focused on things here instead of eternity. Would you, by the Holy Spirit working in us this week, turn our hearts to long for eternity, to think of eternity, and may it shape how we go about each day this week for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon.